we didn't get to have our Christmas Eve service this year, which was disappointing, and we were going to speak on Mary. And I just decided, what the heck, we should just, uh, we should just speak on Mary on the, uh, January 2nd, right? It's, just, it's always a good time to, to speak about Mary and what God did in her life. So this is from Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent, an angel, sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this, may, this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word be to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. God, we thank you for today and this chance uh, to be together, to worship. For those that are joining us uh, uh, digitally, we're, we're thankful for them. We're praying for, for, for them to experience your power and presence in their living rooms or wherever they're at. God, we ask even right now that your Holy Spirit might move mightily in our midst and uh, do whatever you long to do in us today. Amen. So, I don't know, I, I grew up with like children's Bibles and, and going to church and the picture of Mary was always in this like white and Carolina blue robe. And she was always like very pretty and, and well put together and, uh, and older than I, like I think that the Bible says that she actually is. And she seemed like kind of middle to upper middle class. It's like this very well-dressed woman in the stable, right? Like it's like, hmm, that's interesting. Right? Why would she have all these, these nice linens and then have to go into a stable to give birth to her child? Uh, I always thought she was somber. She seemed, she seemed a little bit sad. Uh, her head was low and humble in spirit. And as a 16, 17, 18-year-old kid, I had a real hard time relating to Mary. On top of that, uh, I grew up Protestant, which our church is as well. And there was always this kind of like underlying tone of like, don't talk about Mary too much. You might start to pray to Mary. And so the, the debates about Mary have centered on whether or not she had a sin nature herself. And, and Protestants have been so keen on disagreeing uh, with Catholics about her sin nature that they rarely attempt to dive into her story and the significance that she plays as the mother of the Messiah. She's in our nativity sets, right? We talk about her a few weeks at Christmas and then we wrap her up again 
put her away and bring her out again next year. But what was Mary really like? What was her life like as the angel Gabriel showed up to her? What did she do? Why does it matter? We probably can make some educated guesses from both the text and the context with which she grew up in that she was a poor peasant teenage girl getting ready for her wedding day. It says in the Bible that she was betrothed, and we don't talk about being betrothed anymore. We talk about being engaged, but they're not exactly the same things. Being betrothed was the first step or the first part of a two-step process. So the bride price that her parents would have had to pay, uh, or, or sorry, that the, the other people would have had to pay to her family had already been paid for. And so in many ways, she was legally married. It was just a matter of time until they consummated that marriage, had the feast, and they lived together. They were really already legally married. She was uneducated from a small and insignificant town. Nazareth is, I always call it like the, the, like the, the hillbillies of Galilee, right? Like this is a small town, farmer town, backcountry people, very little significance. And she's part of an oppressed people. The Roman government ruled over the Jewish people. She was highly taxed, mistreated, in a way that many of us would struggle to understand, though not maybe not all of us would struggle to understand today. She and her family were likely just getting by, and they were hoping that God would intervene. See, they had this promise of a Messiah that would have come, and they heard about it from King David, and they heard about it from, from, from all the Old Testament past. But for 400 years, many believed God had not spoken. And all of a sudden, Maybe in her kitchen in her, or her one-room house, an angel of the Lord appears to her and shares the news that she has been chosen to give birth to the king. That she is the one that's highly favored, that the Lord is with her. Now, I don't know about you, but that's exciting stuff. You should be ecstatic about this news, right? That you get to be the mother of the king, the king that would rule and reign, and all of the enemies of God would come and bow at his feet. And he would bring peace to the nations. She would know that context. She would understand how significant this was. But it says in verse 29 that she was greatly troubled by this news. I mean, you probably can figure out why, can't you? <laughs> it's troubling that God hadn't spoken for hundreds of years, and now an angel shows up and says that she's going to give birth to a king. You start to question yourself, wouldn't you? Is what I'm seeing actually happening? But on top of that, she was a virgin. And that's troubling, to be pregnant and to be a virgin. Imagine what's going through her mind. I mean, this is good news. This is significant news. But imagine what she's thinking when this happened. What will Joseph think? 
I remember being engaged. Maybe some of you can imagine being engaged or, can, uh, or have been engaged at one point in time in your life. If the person, uh, if you're, uh, imagine, uh, everyone imagine being a male here and, you're, and, you're, and your wife or your future wife or your current wife, whatever, comes and says, hey, by the way, I'm pregnant and you hadn't slept together, that would be a significant thing. Uh, that would be very problematic, I would think, in your relationship in the future. So she's probably thought about the likelihood of divorce. So this is running through her minds. Even worse, the, the, the punishment for this type of action could, she could have been killed. She probably thought about all the shame that would come in the context that she was living in as Joseph would likely disown her as his wife. She probably thought about the constant judging and condemning, the mistreatment, the laughter, the feeling of being outcasted in a community where this was entirely unacceptable. She would be considered a sinner, which in the New Testament means you're, it's not just a term like that we know everyone's a sinner. This is a group of people that were considered as outsiders, like tax collectors, like thieves, like prostitutes. Can you just imagine, like when you get when you do something wrong and that you feel that sense of shame, it's hard to walk out of your room, right? Let alone walk down the street as people whisper about you. She probably thought about how on earth was she going to care for a baby without a husband, without education, without a job. She probably thought, what if my family disowns me? How am I ever going to show my face again at the synagogue or make sacrifices at the temple? How am I ever going to be able to show my face in this community again? We know how rumors pass. Now I know that people aren't treated the same way always today. Maybe sometimes, but not always. But this was the way it, you know, she could expect to be treated this way in the first century. And this is the thing. It's, it's infuriating. It's, it's hard to be judged and condemned and whispered about when you do something wrong. Imagine when you didn't do anything wrong, how frustrating and sad and discouraging it would be. See, you see, the angel said she was highly favored, but her initial reaction had to have been that this was a death sentence. Angel of the Lord says, don't be afraid. You're giving birth to the Messiah. You're highly favored. The Lord is with you. She had to be shocked and dismayed and in disbelief. Why me? How can this really be happening? I'm a nobody. I'm a teenager from Nazareth. And so she has to make a decision, even in the moment, about what she's going to do. Is she going to trust the angel? Is she going to trust God even without the full picture of what was going to happen? And this is the, the sign of true faith throughout the scriptures, is it not? The image of faith is that you trust God even when you don't know the final result always. Even though you don't know all that you're going to encounter. Even though you don't know when it's going to happen. Even when you have all sorts of questions. And these are the type of people that God has used 
The ones that have trusted even when they had every reason to run away or to refuse. You think about Noah or Abraham or Moses or, Moses or Ruth or Gideon, Esther. And this text says a, a, a phrase or a verse here that is highly significant and one that Mary, she must have just held on to for much of her life. The angel Gabriel says, no word from God will ever fail. So she had to trust that even though she was stepping into the unknown, even though she did not know the, the results of what would happen, that she was trusting a God whose word never fails. I think that Mary, my conclusion is, that Mary embodies the full extent of what it means to surrender oneself to God. She gave up her body for Jesus to be born. She abandoned her previous stellar reputation in the village to the village gossips who probably speculated about her private life. She opened up her heart wide to love a child that she did not choose. She surrendered fully as Jesus grew in popularity. And then when that popularity waned, well, she still trusted in him. Many didn't... Uh, Mary didn't wait until all was crystal clear to surrender herself to God. She didn't insist that God will come with, uh, she would agree to God's plan with no suffering attached. She simply said, I am the Lord's servant and I will accept whatever he wants. Luke 1, 38. This is something that would be unknown to the world for many years, that this baby that she was born, that this promise that he would be the Messiah, would not be known by really anyone else until it happened. Think about this. This incredible thing took over 30 years to transpire. Her life and that promise that she had to hold on to, she had to hold on to that while there was no room in the inn. While Herod tried to kill him, while they were refugees in Egypt, through 30 years of his life, imagine Jesus as a toddler and a teenager and then a, just a regular old construction worker. And she had to hold on to the promises of God amidst all of that for many years. And even when she thought that Jesus had made it clear that he was the Messiah through his power and his miraculous uh, moments in his life and his teaching that had authority and all of these whispers that he is the one to come. He goes to the cross. Surely she had to have questioned the promises of God. What would actually happen? Would God actually come through? A French priest named Francis Fenlon writes this. To want to serve God in some conditions, but not others, is to serve him on your own, in your own way. But to put no limits on your submission to God is truly dying to yourself. This is how to worship God. Open yourself to God without measure. Let his life flow through you like a torrent. Fear nothing on the road you are walking. God will lead you by the hand. Let your love for him cast out the fear you feel for yourself. Have you ever met somebody that had given themselves to God in that way? That have surrendered their lives to God and said, God, we'll, I don't know what the question is, but the answer is yes. 
I've met a few. One was um, a, a pastor team of husband and wife in Nairobi, Kenya. Pastor Mbai. And he had a small church and, and she had a small church in this community that was right next to one of the poorest places in all of Nairobi, Kenya. They started this church and they just had, you know, a few dozen people. And all of a sudden they noticed a number of street boys that would kind of come and hang around and steal food, <laughs> get in trouble, cause problems. And through their life of prayer together, they decided that they would do whatever they could. That there wasn't an accident that these boys were just showing up, sleeping under you know, their, their doorsteps, uh, sneaking into church, grabbing bread whenever they could. So they started to feed them with whatever they had. They'd make as many meals. They were not a wealthy couple. They did not have any means. And then they, more boys came. So they started feeding more boys. And then they realized that all these boys they could feed, but they were leaving for the rest of the day to get caught up in all sorts of things that young boys would do without families to guide them. So they decided that they had no money, but we're going to find a way to house all these boys. Find funding. And so over for the last 30 years, these two people have cared for hundreds of orphan boys in Kenya. Just a small church in the middle of Nairobi who had surrendered and trusted God with what was placed before them. They had gone through times when everything that they had built had been bulldozed by religious extremists against them. They've gone through periods where they had no funding and no help. They've gone days without knowing where the next meal would come for for these 40, 50 boys that they'd have at a time. And none of you would ever have heard of these people had I not mentioned them today. And there are countless others all across the world and in this country too of people that have surrendered to God and allowed themselves to be a people of God's grace. And Mary really truly is a recipient of God's grace. In the midst of all this hardship that she's facing, she is the special object of God's favor here. Nothing indicates in the text that she's particularly worthy of this over any other person, but God gave her the courage. And she said yes. And my fear is this, as we think about this this year, and we, and we ask the question, will I surrender my life to God? Will I be a place where God's grace can enter in, even to do hard things? My concern is that we're so busy that we couldn't hear from the Lord even if he spoke to us. That maybe we're too skeptical that the miraculous would still cause us to doubt. That we're too proud to humble ourselves and do what would be embarrassing and seemingly even unnecessary in order to follow God. That some of us might be so self-loathing to believe that God would even want to use us in this way because of our past or the mistakes that we've made. Maybe we're too short-sighted to trust God even when we don't see the results. See, Jesus had, or Mary had to accept this challenge from the angel, from God, without knowing whether Joseph would stick by her, without knowing 
where she would go, without knowing how her family and community would, would respond. And so I want to challenge you today to not to lack the courage to stand up and declare that God is doing something even in you. Same time, my fear is this, <laughs> is that we all think that what God is going to call us to is to be like Mary, right? Or to, that our task is going to be as big as Mary's. But for most of us, what God asks us to do in our lives is much simpler is not to give birth to the Messiah. <laughs> it's the call of someone like Lydia in the New Testament who hosted church at her home and gave generously to the church so it could reach people. Or a church that I worked at previously where there was a third grade Sunday school teacher that had taught for 30 years. Third graders for 30 years. That's a saint. It's the, the families and the people in Ethiopia that I've met that are completely known to the rest of the world and by any of us that risk their lives every day to go share the good news in context where they can be killed. It's people like Desmond Tutu, right, who stand up to powers and speak truth and will not stand for injustice. It's the welcoming of people that are our neighbors that drive us crazy. It's choosing to have children that have significant problems in their lives so they can bless others. My grandparents chose to have uh, my uncle Roger who had Down syndrome when everyone told them not to. Let me just tell you, his life has impacted hundreds of people because they chose yes. So my challenge to you is to say this. I don't know exactly what the question is, but God, my answer is yes. There's a, a I think one of our favorite diners in the city has a, has a uh, picture that has a quote that says, I don't know what the question is, but the answer is chocolate. <laughs> this one, we, I, I changed it a little bit. I don't know exactly what the question is, God, but my answer is yes. So the question, I think, in Advent, and we are, I guess we're post-Advent now, but this was going to be an Advent sermon. Advent is about making room for God to burst in and disrupt our lives. It's a time to not make excuses, to believe that your life is not too busy to follow God or surrender to God. So my question for you as you enter into this new year is, will you decide to say yes to God even before knowing the full implications of what that yes may mean for you or even being assured that you will see the final result? This is what Christmas is all about. It's about surrendering to God, to his purpose, to his son as the one true king. The story of Mary that she was living was bigger than her own. And the reason that she was willing to take this risk to surrender comes a little bit later. She writes a song. Many of you have probably read her song before. It's one of the most beautiful songs. It's one of my favorite things to read uh, in all of the Bible. 
And her words are, are so moving. She starts off talking about how she is poor and how she's pregnant and this declaration and how she's highly favored from God. And then she goes on to proclaim from the bottom of society is this voice crying from the depths that God's Messiah was finally bringing justice for the poor. Is the voice proclaiming a new order is coming in her son, Jesus. An order that would be centered around him. She's declaring that the one is coming that would save his people from their sins and is merciful to those who put their trust in him. This is the good news that Mary understood and it's the driving force behind her surrender. She knew that God was at work and that God was going to come and do something in the Messiah that beyond what anyone could imagine. She trusted that God would do it. And the question today is, can we confidently say that God has done it in Jesus and therefore we will surrender our lives to him?